I think that that the pandemic, like I said before, has opened us up to an understanding of our digital life being something that's much, much more rich than simply scrolling through Facebook. It has the potential to be incredibly rich. And so that's what we're really trying to create at the network. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a rich place that is for personal and professional growth, no matter what corner of the journey you're in. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress well underway around the globe that almost no one knows about. This podcast will give you hope for the future, and along the way, our guests and I will give you no end to the practical tips on how to see possibilities and great potential all around you. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of everwideningcircles.com. Since 2014, we have written thousands of articles in, about insight and innovation going uncelebrated. And along the way, we've been having the most incredible conversations with thought leaders that we are now sharing with the world. Today, we're going to meet Liesl Ulrich Verderber, the founder and CEO of the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. Now, this is a coming together. This is a community that's forming around something our world needs now more than ever. A gathering for people who are doing good in the world. A place where they can come together and collaborate and share their, their success and get answers to their problem. And generally, become multipliers for each other's ability to change the future for us all. So Liesl, I will mention, Liesl's also my daughter and CEO of Ever Widening Circles. <laughs> but we're going to carry on like we hardly ever see each other, which is pretty much true. <laughs> so Liesl, welcome. Thanks for coming to the Ever Widening Circles orbit here in this new way with me today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be a part of the podcast and to talk with you. Oh, gosh, we are having the most extraordinary conversations, Liesl, as you know, and I would consider it an honor to to chat with you just like I did with the <laughs> scientist who pulled the straw out of the turtle's nose that now has 76 million views. I put your work right up there <laughs> with that wonderful change maker. So hopefully, you know, the, the conversation I had last week with Nathan about just that and all the change that's happening in the world since 2015 when when Nathan's video about that went viral and all of a sudden plastic straws were public enemy number one. <laughs> to think about all the progress that's been spawned by by that simple act makes me think, where will we be five years from now with somebody like you beginning a community where people who are doing good in the world can come together? Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling. So thank you on behalf of the the universe <laughs> for helping us turn a corner because gosh knows we need to. We've got to lose the division and the negativity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Liesl, introduce yourself a little bit better than I already have. Tell us a little bit about yourself and get people up to speed. Yeah, so I mean, it's always funny to go on interviews with you, mom, but cause I have to sort of, if I, if I call you mom, if I call you Linda listeners, you know, it's, we're, we're business partners, but also mother daughter. So I came on to work with mom on ever widening circles, I guess, after I graduated from Harvard in 2015, I had been looking around to try and work with some kind of startup and mom had recently started ever widening circles. It was still in its very early infancy. And I came home and had a conversation with her. I was going to take the summer off to travel and and just sort of get my bearings after you know very intense undergraduate experience. And when I came home, she was working on ever widening circles by herself. Um, her original partner um, had moved on to other things, and she was really at a crossroads of of what to do with this incredible project that was highlighting 
you know, things as sort of our, our, our motto then was we would write one article every day on any subject under the sun that proved it was still an amazing world. And, and parts of that motto still hold true today. But, you know, I asked her, I said, do you want, what do you want this to be? And I said, is this something that you want to retire to? And I think that I remember very distinctly sitting on the, on the, on, on the porch upstairs and, and you said, yes, I, I don't know what else I would do with myself after, after I'm a dentist and after you guys are all grown up. And I said to her, well, you know, you're going to have to create this. Like it is the thing you'll retire to, you know, you've got, you've got a couple maybe, you know, a, a, a few, maybe a decade, maybe less until that happens. So let's, let's get you started with, you know, a good website. And so I had initially come on just to, just to sort of help out. I was like, you know, I'll move on to other things. And then I just fell in love with the work. I fell in love with the work of writing about incredible things. I was a really, really cynical Harvard student. I had sort of come out of a space where, you know, I was being very harsh on the world and being very harsh on my perception of what was possible. And so I really didn't have much space, I thought, in my mind for this positive media company. I just thought it was sort of a fun thing mom was doing and I wanted to help out all I could. And then and then I really did fall in love with the work. I fell in love with the idea that, you know, if you are constantly showing yourself and 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 opening yourself up to new possibilities, new wonderful things that are happening in the world, your perception of the world does start to change. And so that's how I fell in love with the work. I've always been a writer. I've always loved writing. So I really fell in love with it from this from this different angle than I ever thought I would fall in love with my work from. And then over the past, what is it, six years now, we've worked closely together, um, taken on new projects. I've brought us into education We've done now our first events this last fall. You know, we've really grown from, I know we don't like to say the word blog, but sort of a blog where we'd put our our thoughts into now a full-fledged media company now with this new wing of generating online an online community for people who are doing good in the world and want to be there to enrich each other's work and and help each other grow. And like you said, be multiplier for, multipliers for one another. Yeah, you know, Liesl, I should just interject here that Liesl's father and I grew up in a little tiny farming town in Illinois, and we knew nothing of the world except for what we saw in National Geographic magazines that were on every horizontal surface in the house I grew up in. But we did start traveling with our kids. Uh, Liesl slept on plywood in Tibet. She's been lost with us in the Andes, almost slept under the car one night. She's played at our feet in the IRA headquarters in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And that was our hope to create children that that knew that the wider world was a wonderful place full of incredibly generous people who are ingenious in even the the hardest circumstances. And so I really appreciate the fact that Liesl took a look at that that big wide world (laughs) and and charted a course towards where she is now. Now Liesl, it'd be great to share with people that you're not a natural optimist, that that we are not looking at the world with rose-colored glasses, right? Yeah, I think that that's important. I think part of the cynicism that I had when I came out of college is stems from that. I'm I'm not a natural optimist by any means. You know, I think I'm a, I'm a very a very pragmatic, very realist kind of person. I I'm not the kind of person who'll sort of polish things up and tell it to you nicely, which, you know, is is one of the things that I think people think of optimists always being. But I think that this one of the best phrases I've I've heard lately is this idea that optimism is something that we have to do it's it's a practical we have to be have thought leader but we have to have stubborn optimism and i think that that is a a a type of optimism that we really do subscribe to that if we're not telling great stories if we're not actively trying to make the world better that we're not our optimism is only going so far and so i think that maybe i've changed my tune a little bit from saying that i'm not a natural optimist to i'm a natural stubborn optimist and that i do believe that the world is a better place and it will become a better place if only we we believe that it will be so you can't it's like any great goal right you can't believe that you're going to fail and and do your best right you can't believe that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and then make progress towards some other thing. You have to truly believe on a deep level that some other possibility is possible in order to actually work towards it. And our stories do point that out. Liesl is always quick to point out that we're not telling puppies in mailboxes stories about insight and innovation. Go go into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that when you are talking about the world in in terms of what's going on, 
it can seem like the world is a chaotic, dangerous, awful place. But that is because what we see on the news is newsworthy because it doesn't actually happen all that often. And the unfortunate thing is we're consuming so much news that there's this trick in our brain that essentially what we see more of, what we see the most of, is what is the the conclusion that our brain jumps to first, right? So if we are seeing everything bad happening in the world, even if it's the true outlier, if we're constantly seeing that view of the world, then our perception, our quickest perception of the world around us is going to be of that negative viewpoint, right? So for us, we think it's really important, and I believe it's very important that we balance out that viewpoint, We that we understand that for all of the badness that we're seeing on the news, there is actual tangible good that goes beyond, not that those stories are sort of quick goodwill or, you know, a puppy gets adopted. Listen, I have a rescue dog. I love those stories, but those are not going to tell you don't at your core they're not fundamentally changing the way you see the world and for us knowing that there is this expansive group of people out there that we call you know co-conspirators in the conspiracy of goodness those people are out there they're doing great work we are not celebrating them in the mainstream media but for us to be here at ever widening circles celebrating their stories contextualizing their stories into how their stuff that they're doing fits into our daily lives even if it's halfway across the globe is so critical to getting everybody on board with seeing a better worldview and then all of us pushing that progress forward. Absolutely. We are telling Liesl's the CEO of uh, Everwinding Circles and your team is is writing about the most incredible leaps in innovation that should be in the news and we aren't hearing about it. Science, wonders of nature and mm-hmm. the most extraordinary TED Talks. It goes on and on, but I love your point. It wouldn't be newsworthy if it happens every day. Yeah, and it's also important to note that a lot of the people that we cover, a lot of the projects that we cover, they're doing the slow, long work, which is not sexy. It's not flash in the pan. It's not newsworthy until you know the millionth tree is planted but to get to that millionth tree that's planted there's a heck of a lot of work by a heck of a lot of people that's a lot of the slow drudgery and i think that that's you know we very often see the tail end of people's success we don't see their all of the work that went into it the body of work that went into it the countless hours and so i think in part by us celebrating, even when it, we are celebrating the successes of these people, you know, understanding that that story is complex and trying to convey that to our readers, I think helps any one of us see ourselves in those shoes in some way, right? The idea that, you know, Nate Robinson, who I know you just recently had on the podcast, you know, he has a whole backstory. He has a whole life that happened before that moment with the straw. He had to get his PhD in, which is hard work. He had to spend so many hours on boats. He had to spend hours, you know, filming until he got to that moment. And so, and all, think of all the data he had to go through. I mean, that's, that's not going to make the news, but that movement that he created from that one moment out of all that hard work is what we remember. And I think in order for us to say, Hey, I could be that next change maker. We have to understand that we're all sort of in our own way. If we're, if we think we're doing good in the world, plodding along with that slow work until we get our, you know, I, I hate to say it, but for lack of a better term, kind of big break. And And if we're all supporting each other as we move forward in our good works, even if it's just like making sure you're donating to the local, you know, historical society every year until, you know, that they're able to, you know, put on a fundraiser or something like that. I mean, those are the good works that grow and grow and grow. And sometimes that's, it's a long process that, like I said, it doesn't make the the news because it's not sexy and it's not, you know, oh my gosh, flash in the pan. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love, um, I love the direction you're going there because, it reminds me that the that the slow work is a journey in itself that we need to learn to celebrate, right? Like it, it's so easy with the, the way our world works to always just celebrate uh, achieving the goal, getting the A, getting the, the award, getting the promotion. But that's not where the joy of everyday life lives. Yeah, and I think that you have probably seen a lot of people this year as thing this past year as things have been really put off track and then as we try and look into a future that seems uncertain you know i think there's a lot of that unease that is occurring comes from the fact that there is a lack of structure right there is a lack of knowing that i'm going to get to my big goal but if we almost treat every every we break down the week we break down the day into 
the monotony. I, I hate to say that, but we make that monotony fun. We make that monotony a, a process of growth. We make that monotony, you know, a way of connecting. If we if we are able to pick a central purpose to all of the goals that we choose, and then every day kind of live in that purpose towards our our ultimate end goals, then sort of the end goals can change. the The due dates of those end goals can change, but every single day, because you're living with more purpose, because you understand where you want to go, you're more able to sort of live more fulfilled within the day, the chaotic day to day, or the chaotic or the sort of sometimes monotonous day to day as well. You know, I'm I'm really fond lately. People, I was interviewed a lot in the news around the new year about how to look at 2021, given what a disaster 2020 was. And I found myself. I'd like to. I, well, let me just pause right here and say I'd like to turn this interview into a whole bunch of practical things that you've mm-hmm. learned along this journey, Liesl. Yeah. So let's start with this one. As I said, I was being interviewed a lot around the new year, and the number one thing I would tell people is. What we give our attention to expands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me how how you've seen this play out, either in thought leaders that you're talking to who are changing the world or in your own experience. Tell give give us some context so we can all use that that little notion better in our lives. Yeah, I think one of my favorite examples of that, just in our own experience, is from you know the, the what we sort of focus on grows right is this idea that you know, one of the things we started out with was we were constantly over the years with Everwhitening Circles trying to get as many people as we possibly could to the website every month, right? It was like our goal. We got to get, you know, more people, more people, more people. And this led to like constant dismay. We were focusing on the numbers and not the people. And so we kept pouring, you know, time, effort, money into getting people to the website instead of looking at the people that were showing up every day, even though, you know, we know what the numbers on the internet are. We, so we thought, you know, oh, a thousand people clicking on this thing, that's not that many. But then, you know, at the beginning of the year, we kind of started to think about what would it be like if all those thousand people every Friday showed up, you know, in an auditorium and we got to shake all of their hands? What if every other day I got to talk to 300 people? What if every other day, what if every day what I was saying reached, you know, I could see all 300 people or 400 or 500 people that saw what I did that day. Or if all the 2000 people that we influenced that week were standing right in front of me, you'd start to realize that these numbers are not tiny. They're actually quite astronomical when they start to build up. And if you're focusing on the people instead of the the numbers, you start to see a lot more success and and what's important actually starts it to reveal itself. I think that's a really big thing that we're learning is is what's important starts to reveal itself. And I think that that for us was one of the reasons why we started the Conspiracy of Goodness Network was because we realized, hey, you know, that many people in a room would be incredible. Imagine if all those people in a room could communicate with one another about their work or ask for help or find valued and trusted collaborators. Imagine if you could connect that many people on a daily basis and actually put them all in one room. And that's that's kind of how we ended up with this wonderful, incredible new space, this new way of looking at social media, sort of putting the social back into it, taking the best of, you know, things like LinkedIn when it comes to asking for help and collaboration and adding the spice of vulnerability and the importance of a vetted community to that. And you really start to create this wonderful space. And so for us, that's been our biggest thing about how we change our focus is focusing from raw numbers to thinking of real people. And I think that has really changed our efforts in how we engage people and the depth with which we're engaging people. Yeah, I think um, I think I had a, a really, really important fellow ask me the other day, Linda, you know, how do you break through to be an inner influencer? He was really worried about his numbers. Like when when people are spouting off their numbers and I, 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 I just really thought back to you and how you're saying, you know, I'd rather have 60 or six people that really get it and are surrounding each other with all that ball of energy than 600,000 who are just randomly liking things without even reading it. Right. And it goes back to the attention economy, right? I think this is something that you talk about quite frequently, right? Is right now, 
the economy of the internet, how you make money on the internet, how you keep your business going is the number of people that will click on your thing, the number of eyeballs you can get in front, the number of people that you can, you know, get to see your work. And I, and I think that that is not a sustainable model of growth on the internet. If you just keep trying to find the newest customer, instead of trying to, you know, nurture the people who clearly are, are telling you, I love you. And it's like, it's like going on a date with, we've got a partner at home that's just absolutely adores you. And you're like, nope, sorry, I'm going to try and go find another person. You stay here. I know that you like me, but I need to find more people that like me. So you stay here. I'll go out. Like it's unfair to the people that are already there. So I really do think that that's super important for anybody. If you're trying to build a business, if you're trying to build a restaurant, if you're trying, I mean, uh, you know, if you're a small business owner, why would you keep trying to reach people that don't love you at the expense of people of your regular customer of your regular, you know, you know, your regular walk-in, whatever it is, really value the people that show up regularly and tell you, I love you. And if the more that you value them, the more that they will tell those high value stories to other people in their lives. And it sort of grows this bubble of trust around you in a really powerful, powerful and deeply engaged way. Now, this conversation might seem like it's angled in particular at people who are trying to create organizations or trying to solve a problem, but but we're actually talking about people who have recently volunteered to be on the board of the Humane Society or mm-hmm. people that are trying to support a big food drive. This is this is everybody from Topher White who's figured out how to save the rainforest with old cell phones all the way over to somebody who just sees a problem in their own community, maybe even in their own family and is trying to solve it, right? The, mm-hmm. This network that you're forming, that you, this community that you've created is, is for anybody who wants to have a better future, right? Yeah, I think we, we talk about the network kind of being broken down into the learners, the doers, and the helpers, right? So not everybody is an organization owner, but they, there's a lot of people that want to help. We have a lot of people that have, have joined the network simply because they want to be attached to and know that there's good out in the world, right? And then, and I call those people the helpers. And then there's the learners, right? Those are the people who, you know, have this insatiable need to sort of learn what's out there, investigate things, connect things. You know, this network, we're also making that for them because we're, we're providing so many different resources that they can, can sort of look through, add on to, share with others, find spaces to collaborate. And then of course, there's the doers, right? They're the people that are that are out there trying to do good in the world. And, and we have conversations on our site, you know, for instance, you know, they're, and they get practical. They're not always esoteric. They're not always like, Ooh, you know, how do I build my Instagram following? It can be simply like, Hey, I've heard about this thing called SEO. Everybody keeps telling me it's so my website will show up, help me, you know? And, and I think that if you're asking questions like that, that's perfectly fine. That's an amount of vulnerability. If you are, you know, a doer, and if you're a learner, you're simply, you can, or a helper, you're asking, Hey, I have extra uh, two extra hours a week and I am a retired English teacher and I want to just help look at websites to make sure that they don't look ridiculous on, you know, and that, that your spelling and grammar is correct. Like, please let me help. Right. So I think that that is what I really see the value of this network. Being. I, I have to just interject there, Liesl. That's a brilliant way of saying it. Like, I, I really think of your network as being a place where anybody who wants a better future with any skills at all can just contribute to the whole. Right. Can contribute to, and that's a great example, the retired teacher who can offer anybody who's doing good in the world a quick look at their website to tell them if they've got misspellings or bad grammar. That That's a great, a great example. Right. And I think that there are a lot of, I think that the reason why we wanted to create our own platform, you know, away from a Facebook group, away from any other social media platform, really, we create our own social media platform was because we wanted to be able to set the rules and be transparent about them as a community, right? We wanted to say, hey, if we want to start a group about I'm a retiree and I want to help out, we can start a group about that. And we can have that conversation. We can get the right people on board. If I am somebody who really wants to work on a personal goal or or find motivation, I can find other people within the group who are that same level of busy or that same level level of committed to be able to, you know, work with those people and and do it in a way that works into my lifestyle. I think the value of having a a user-driven community is that, you know, we get a say in, in how things look. We're not getting kind of beat around by an algorithm. We really are creating the content we wish we had. And then if I'm 
creating that content and you're enjoying it and you're putting the same thing out there, you know, we create this self-generating organism really that has this value as a professional, but also has this deep personal value in, in growing who we are and expanding ourselves as learners so that we can apply, you know, all the incredible things that we're learning to, you know, our daily lives, whether that's in business or at home. It reminds me of a conversation you had recently with a thought leader who runs that fantastic school, the Belgate School. You and you and Jesse were talking about the fact that the best way to go forward is to not have one guru. Is to just mm-hmm. it's just ex- attach and explore yourself. Well, I can you you explain. It. I thought it was a great concept. Yeah, I think one of the big things that is super important to me and that has served me and I think serves a lot of people like yourself, like Jesse, like a lot of thought leaders that we talk to is that we don't subscribe a lot of, you know, a lot of people will find one person that they love. I'm sure we could name a thousand here on this podcast. They, they, they subscribe to that person. They, they buy every book. They've been to every webinar they have. And that's fine. But I think there's incredible value in pulling your resources from a lot of different areas of expertise and thought, right? So for instance, in Jesse's case, he's an educator, but in order to do best by his students, he's pulling from philosophy. He's pulling from neuroscience. He's pulling from farming practices. He's pulling from, you know, a a wide swath psychology. He's pulling from this wide swath of resources in order to best serve his students. And I think you look at a lot of people who are incredibly successful, you know, you think about all the blogs that you read or whatever, they're pulling from philosophers, scientists, artists, media makers. There's not one sort of, you know, business things. They're not, there's not one corner of the world that they totally subscribe to. I think a lot of people have sort of one that they like to go to. I know that I'm a big fan of Harvard Business Review, but I, I love going to all the other things as well. And I think one of the values of having a network of people that are all in that same mindset of sharing in that same way is that you almost start to curate this wonderful, incredibly robust and multifaceted way of looking at the world, right? Like my posting about a business thing might spur on Jesse to post something about a psychology thing, might have somebody else post something about food science and 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 conserving our resources. And then now I can draw from all three of those articles the next time I want to talk about this this bigger issue, the next time I'm thinking about this thing that I had read. And, and it makes everybody's lives more three-dimensional when you're not just pulling from one resource or one corner of expertise. And I think that that's an incredibly valuable way of all of us pushing our businesses forward, pushing our home lives forward, pushing our work forward, pushing you know our desire to help forward is if we understand the world in complex terms, the complexity of the world isn't overwhelming anymore. It's sort of beautiful and you feel like you can partake in it. Well, and I, I think as you're referencing there, if you've got a trusted circle, that's what I look at, at at the network as. I just will share with uh, with you that I'm a I'm a, a on the very very young end of the baby boomers, and but I know that I've had a professional life that's been enriched by me being able to go to events. I was recently creating my contact list for for a, a reason, and I looked at all the people I've met that I've that are in my trusted circle and they've all a hundred percent come from my attending professional events in this genre or that over the last 20 years. And your generation is not getting up the ability because of the pandemic to do that. Like we did at the exact Zenith when I was hitting my stride, meeting people and creating lifelong relationships, building a Rolodex, they used to refer to it as, so I see this network as this amazing place where people can build their trusted circles and always have the ability to, to add more and more people into it. The other day I was on, on the network and I, and I saw you're posting about five of your very, very favorite best books. So I was inspired. I added mine. And so then somebody else h- hopped in and added theirs. And not only was some of my best books on their list, but I could see very well that if that person likes that book, I'm going to like that book. And so I got turned on to things I would never have stumbled upon in this world where you, where you can't just sit and have a drink with somebody after a meeting in Topeka, Kansas. So tell me more about, about how, how this era 
could be full of disaster from a not being able to connect with new people and make lifelong friendships or an opportunity. What are you thinking about that these days? Well, I think that we were stepping into a digital meeting place and being feeling trustworthy of digital people already. But I think that the pandemic pushed an entirely new generation of people who are not comfortable with that into becoming more comfortable with that. And so for me, I don't look at you know, not being able to go to conferences in person as necessarily a detriment, but I look at it as how many more people, if, if done correctly, how many more people from around the world can I now bring in and open up the doors to by having this kind of digital space as opposed to requiring everybody to get a ticket and fly on in? You got to think too, like now you're opening the door up for people with all kinds of resources to get these kind of incredible connections, right? Like, you know, it used to be that you had to have the $2,000 plane ticket, $1,000 plane ticket, then get yourself the rental car, then get yourself to the the um, event, yada, yada, and pay for the ticket to the event, right? And now we've got this sort of open door where incredible people who are driven and excited and motivated who maybe didn't have that door open to them before, I can now interact with, I can now bring into my inner circles. I can now ask, you know, hey, person who I have met only a little bit, let's have a virtual coffee and let's chat. And maybe we have areas of overlap that can be really helpful. So I think the pandemic has pushed us to become more comfortable with something that was already on the verge of existing, which is becoming comfortable with creating digital friendships. I mean, you think there's so many young people for whom they have a huge network of people, maybe younger than I am a little bit, but they have a huge network of people that they've met on Reddit or forums or through, you know, different video games, right? They have a huge network of very trusted people and friends, and some of them will never meet in person, but they will have met and they still still form these very deep relationships. And so I think that this is what the digital space, the pandemic is forcing us to do. It's forcing us to understand the digital space in a different way and have a different understanding of who we work with, where they're from, and how we how we meet them. And so for me, the network is this place where we can combine sort of the best of being able to quickly update everybody on social media with in-person events, with in-person workshops, with one, you know, in-person monthly events that are digital or virtual, but we're able to create conversation among our, our members and among our users so that you start to feel that personal connection while also getting to know people in sort of a large in-depth way. So I'm, I'm really excited by the possibilities that the pet pandemic has opened up when it comes to seeing the world becoming smaller and more connected in some ways. Absolutely. That that's <laughs> and and it like you pointed out, it was going that direction anyway, and now we're all making this leap together, and that's a leveling mm-hmm. of the playing field as well. Well, as I say, yeah, and I think it's a leveling of uh, the playing field, and it's also a leveling of opportunity. Honestly, really, it's it's an. I think to myself too, how many companies are probably not going to go back to being in person, and so now you can hire talent from around the country, around the world, if you want, with with some adjustments to your regular, the way that you used to operate. And now imagine all the people that you can bring on and the better quality of life we can potentially create. Obviously, right now, we're still in the growth stages of how to manage a better quality of life with working digitally. But I think it's all there. It's all on the verge of being created. And the pandemic, I think, has accelerated some older systems into becoming, into seeing what's possible with the digital era. And of course, there's growing pains. Of course, there is. But it's definitely accelerated us to a new place. Well, and as you know, I'm always fond of saying, you know, the internet is only a human construct, just like everything else. We get to decide how we use it. It's like a tool, Mm -hmm. like a hammer. It can be used to build things or be used to demolish, but that's our choice. Right. That's not, that's, that is completely unrelated to the tool itself, where the, where the users. So before we move on, because I've got some great things I want you to share with us, let's take a break. I I love this conversation. I can't wait to get back to it, but we're going to take a break and tell folks a little bit more about this phenomenal platform that we just launched. And then we'll come back and talk about all kinds of practical tips that you've got for people that, that you've learned from your experience. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. 
you can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all, people like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world, those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So, Liesl, I am celebrating you're opening this community for the world by saying a lot of times that it's like the best of the big four social media platforms without all the mean, angry people. (laughs) So you've made a little barrier to entry just enough to make it so that people don't show up who just have so much zeal and passion that they ruin it for the rest of us who are just there for some joy and problem solving. So tell us a little bit about how this is all working and what your thoughts are on on how we can be multipliers for each other. Yeah, so anybody who knows Everwidening Circles content knows that we've always tried to make that very free and very open. And when we thought about how we would create a community, we really wanted to make sure, like you were saying, we avoided this kind of acrimony and devolution of our best nature that very often happens on social media. And when we talked to thought leaders, one of the best ways that we found to do that was A, to have be a vetted community so people had to apply to get in, and B, to create it, make it a paid community. So people pay monthly dues. It's, it's only $35 a month to have access to this incredible network of thought leaders and business owners. It's an incredible way to grow yourself personally and professionally. But we wanted to give that little barrier of entry. You know, there's very few trolls that want to pay $35 and have an application to come be a troll. And also we've made it very clear to our users what our purpose is, that this is a professional community, that we we do want to talk about some things that, you know, everything can be made political, but we're not here to talk politics, right? If, if there's an issue that you're actually having as a as an owner of an organization or as wanting to volunteer, you know, there's a place, this is a place to come ask those questions and, and feel a sense of trust for the other people around you. We're really trying to encourage people to have this combination of, and, and I think this is what a lot, when we have, I should say this, when we have a paid closed, you know, closed, I'm using air quotes here, community that you have to apply to get in, everybody comes in on the same foot. They understand the base rules. One of the people we talked to had a great point, which was, you know, we're building the house and we're setting the rules of the house, you know, right now, right? People want to do whatever they want. They run the risk of, you know, getting run over by a, a car outside, you know, that is Facebook. But if you're in this house, you know, you take your shoes off at the door and and this is how we act in this room and this is how we act in this room. And I think that was a great way of putting it, right? It's like we're creating a culture for what happens in our house and we're doing that together as a community because what we want is a space of personal and professional growth so we can have a certain amount of vulnerability. People that join this are successful in so many ways, right? Whether that's they've been successful and now they're retired or they are successful and they want to keep growing or they're starting off and they want to be successful. They had the chutzpah just to start. So to me, adding vulnerability in makes it so that we can actually add, you know, ask good questions. We can trust one another. We can say, hey, things are not perfect. 
And in doing so, you know, we may all have a piece of the puzzle, but unless we're willing to like put the piece of the puzzle down on the table and say, Hey, I've got this, but I don't have this one. We can't know who else could be out there to help be out there to help us. So really for us, it's about creating this space where we can create a sense of trust that is a little bit based in vulnerability, but also based in people all wanting to have the same base, base goodness. And so we make sure it's very clear when people join and we make sure that, you know, we're, I don't think we ever have to enforcing the rules is the wrong word that people are aware of what the rules are and that those that are not understanding that, you know, there's a course correction there because, you know, this is a a community people are paying for and they want to see grow in in a really beautiful and wonderful way. And it is, it is a like-minded group. Yeah. You know, people are going to be kinder than they need to be in that community. It's, there's a trust with our feelings and a trust with our sense of hope and possibility that I think that even fused the culture there with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of our, our application questions is, you know, why do you do good in the world? What's your one-liner for doing good? And, you know, the ways that people answer are always so very telling. You, you understand that these people at their core, it's almost like you can't name a thing that is at your core sense of self. And so, maybe it's a bit of an unfair question sometimes because people can't write a long, you know, sentence there. And so instead you're almost the simple answers really are the ones that I am always astounded by because it's like, you're trying to put words to something that's a core value of who you are. Like, I don't want to do bad. You know, I believe that doing no harm, you know, it's, it's very funny the way that people are not funny in a haha way, but funny in sort of a, Oh, well, that's interesting way to see how people answer because you can tell so many people, this is a hard question. Cause it's so, so at the core of who they are. It was hard for me too. And here I am slogging away with everyone <laughs> going, jumping through the darn soup for eight years. Yeah. So I don't want people to get the wrong message. This, this is a, it's an application that's it's really about having people like kind of almost like look at look at their own motivations when they fill it out, right? Yeah. There's no there's no credentials. You don't have to have been in the field a bajillion years. You don't have to be doing a certain type of thing. We accept all members from, you know, we we accept members from all corners of the world and all corners of backgrounds. The application is really there as again, a way of vetting the community of saying here's who I am and who I will purport to be. And so that when we add them to the network and they appear to be someone completely different, we can say, hey, remember how on your application you said that this this is really not in line with what we're doing as a community here. And it's really like you're saying, it's sort of a, a self, a little bit of self-reflection that we're asking people to do before they step into a space where everybody else is being asked to do some self-reflection when they step in as well, which I always think it's good and important to put your values and, and hold a mirror to yourself before you walk into any space so that you can understand how you fit in best with that that particular space. What what version of yourself to bring to the space? Yeah, and that that is the the real bottom line is that we need to have some mechanisms, some outlets in society that bring out the best in us. Mm-hmm. So much about the internet is bringing out not our <laughs> not our best. So, and this is as we said, this is this is a place for somebody who's just taken over the, the the gumption to join the board of the local humane society or teachers. Oh, I can imagine this network for teachers who are raising the young minds of the future, Liesl. Access to all this 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 good personal growth that people are sharing there. Yeah, I, I really do think that in the more diverse that this space can become with people's backgrounds, the more value that this this network has. I think one of the things I always envision for this network is people who, like we said, we have the doers, the learners, and the helpers, right? A, a doer coming out and saying, I really want to work on X project. Is anybody out here a Y person? And that person saying, yeah, I totally know how to do. Let's, let's, it's your average person. Hey, I'm a retired accountant and I would totally love to be a part of this. Or, hey, I, my son is a data analyst. Let me ask him and see if he's interested in helping you out. I think that's where the value of this community is, is in its diversity and in the fact that, you know, you can have a filmmaker right next to a philanthropologist, right next to a scientist, right next to a college professor. And there's, there's so much happening there. There's a retired teacher or whatever, right? There is such a wealth of people there and that wealth who of people who all have a common goal, I think is really, really valuable in enriching everyone's lives on the network. Well, that's one of the things I really thought for 
me personally was at the core of this is that, you know, there is a tendency to focus on what we don't agree on in this world. And I think fundamentally you've nailed, you know, there's this great saying in the world of AI, the other AI, which is appreciative inquiry. Oh goodness. If people haven't looked into that whole line with uh, David Cooperwriter and that whole group at Case Western, Appreciative Inquiry. One of the questions I love from the whole world of Appreciative Inquiry is, what do we all want more of? What would, what would debates look like? What would negotiations look like? What would our friction points look like if we first agreed about what we all want more of? Yeah. And then we flowed into our differences about those about how we get there. Because I think that what you're saying, tell me more about what we all want more of and the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. Yeah, I think this question of what we all want more of is really important. I think what we all want more of is this deep, meaningful connection. That's why we turn to Facebook. That's why we turn to Instagram, even though sometimes it can make us feel like crap and it can make us feel really disheartened is because we're still craving connection, especially right now. We are humans. We want connection. And so what we think is really important, if we all want more connection, how do we get there? Well, we create a space where the ground rules are real, where we're not being influenced left and right by, you know, political ads, where the the rules of the house are very clear about what we what we're talking about here and and why everyone is there. And I think in doing that, what we allow is for the sort of, we can joke and say the social comes back to social media, or we put the connection back in social media, make it meaningful again. I mean, we were, I find myself loving to add stuff to the, the network because it feels a bit like the Wild West. Like I remember when Facebook was very new before there were any parents on it. And we would post funny memes and we would, we would, you know, tag, there was a picture with like 18, you know, Ben and Jerry's flavors. And it was like, tag your friend, what Ben and Jerry's flavors they are. Uh, I mean, here I was, you know, New York super fried chunk here and there, like something about that. It was fun. It obviously wasn't deeply meaningful. Like we're intending the network to be, but it was fun because it was well-meaning. No one was in my experience, I know there was bullying that was going on, but but in my experience, it was just fun again. And you knew that you weren't going to... Bullying was something that was happening in the dark of those places. And it wasn't something that was sort of the norm. And so what I really think that is important about the network is that we have spaces to communicate together. We know what the rules are together. We know what our purpose is and that we are entering into the space being conscious. And I think that's really important. That's why we have an application. That's why we have you know, this, this sort of club dues is to say, Hey, I really value this space enough to have put a price tag on it. Then I'm going to value other people's, you know, being in this space as well. And so I'm not going to make it worse off because it's as valuable to you as it is to me. And I think that that's, that's one of the really important things I think about how we change social media is if we have to give it value again and really deep, meaningful value. And, and I think that value comes from meaningful connection. Yeah, without without the constant barrage of people with agenda, mm-hmm. this is what has damaged our trust in 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 social media in general. And I think I, I will say on the topic of agenda, I think agenda is one of those words that I I think everybody has a bit of an agenda with whatever, like whether they want the likes or they want. I think we can have a good agenda, and there I think that that's something that's really important. Is you can have a good agenda. Agenda has become a word that is sort of negative, but you can have a good agenda. I am well-intentioned. My agenda is good when I want to post something to a network to say, hey, we're doing this you know, event, please come. So I have an agenda, which is to get people to come to my event, but it's, you know, I'm doing it in a heartfelt way. I'm not leading you down a clickbait rabbit hole or, you know, all those things. So I think that to understand and to sort of reclaim the word agenda is really important because then we understand that I'm doing this out of a genuine desire to make your life better. And that's my central agenda. And and there are scenarios that can be win-wins for everyone. Right, exactly. And I think that goes back to what you were saying about everyone being a multiplier. If we're able to get the conversation out there about what we both want out of it, out of whatever a relationship is, I think the better off we are. I think that right now we're in a, a space of reckoning where I think a lot of people believe that in adding more people to circles in that were 
you know, that means that there's less pie for other people. When in fact, if you're actually adding people, you're growing, there, firstly, there is no pie. But if we are talking about pies, we're growing the pie, right? The the pie is, there's not, you know, one slice for everybody. There's, we can make the pie as big as we want because it's a construct that we came up with, this belief in the pie. And then if we're adding more people to it, we're saying, what do you want? What do I want? Okay, great. I I want this corner with more crust and you want the corner with less crust. Great. I'll take this corner. You take that corner. But if I'm sitting here thinking you want my piece of pie, even though you don't want it, then I've got this negative notion of you, right? So I think that goes into sort of a silly long-winded metaphor to say, if we can be open about what we need out of a space or what we want out of a space or what we want out of each other or need out of each other, I think we can go far, far further and make leaps and bounds of progress if we're just honest with ourselves. And sometimes that can be selfish. I mean, you know, and if, but if we're honest up front with like maybe what our selfish desires are, you know, we can, we can actually create something better. And you, know, you and I had a conversation and about the future of ever widening circles. And I remember one of the things your selfish desire was you want to be able to talk to interesting people and do that for the rest of your life. Right. Thusly the, the, Everwinding Circles now Conspiracy of Goodness Network or Conspiracy of Goodness podcast is born because if we engage our selfish intent and we're able to then do that by also helping others or finding ways that someone else can can collaborate with that, well then then great. You know, everybody has different intentions. When you find somebody whose intentions match up perfectly with yours to help you succeed, then it's a win-win for everybody who's involved. Yeah, and I, I used to see so much potential in that, you know. One day, <laughs> Liesl and I will get really vulnerable here for a few minutes. One day we had, we were having kind of a disagreeable day, Liesl and I, and she came upstairs and she'd really expect me to do one thing. And what I had actually done was create this, <laughs> this <laughs> she's got a funny look on her face, this huge diagram with, with magnets on a magnetic whiteboard with drawings and, oh God, I'd spent so much time figuring out the message. <laughs> And she just, she's very gracious, but in some ways, no. And my my point in bringing that up is we, we, I think the pandemic has made us okay with the imperfections in others. We can be vulnerable. We can, we can say, oh my God, I'm losing it. I need a really good web developer. Does anybody out there know a good web developer? It was, it felt to me when you were on the verge of creating the network, that we were one little point of light shouting into the darkness. And so many of the thought leaders that we'd met through Everwinding Circles were doing the same. Mm-hmm. And here we are creating some way that we're not all sh- shouting in the darkness alone anymore. Imagine the collective power of people with as much goodwill as there are out in the world for real. Yeah, I think that that's really important is that we really created what we needed. And I think that, and they say that it's always good business, best business practice to create the thing that you need. But I think to myself, how, how much more quickly we could have gotten where we wanted to go, how much more confident we would have been with ourselves, how much quicker the message, you know, we, I think we're in a good place, obviously, right now with the number of people we reach, we're very proud of it. But think how much quicker we could have got there and then continue to grow. And I think of all of the organizations out there that like you're saying, they're like these specks of light out in the darkness and they don't know what exists. And so many people come to working in these spaces because they have a passion, not because they have the expertise to execute it. They just know it's the right thing to do. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who will take advantage of of that kind of goodwill. And so to go back to that, I think creating what we wanted and being vulnerable about it, you know, we needed a place like this to exist ourselves. So why not create it? You know, you look around and no one's creating it. And then why not create ourselves? Why not offer it to other people as a space? If they needed it equally as much as us, you know, why don't we make it exist that they can be a part of it too? So, yeah, I think, I think that, that the pandemic, like I said before, has opened us up to an understanding of our digital life being something that's much, much more rich than simply scrolling through Facebook. It has the potential to be incredibly rich. And so that's what we're really trying to create at the network. And the Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a rich place that is for personal and professional growth, no matter what sort of 
corner of your journey you're in, um, that you can be a part of something bigger and be contributing to it while also getting a huge amount um, back from it. It's just lovely. It's so lovely. So, so Lisa, I get the question very often. You know the the, the actual story of the conspiracy of goodness. I I get the question all the time. Was that the right thing to do, Dr. Linda? Are you sure you want to call a podcast that's positive the conspiracy of anything? People are always asking me about why I've chosen to to really champion this conspiracy of goodness that I think is going on in the world. I'm, as you know, I have a recent TEDx talk that just went live called Exposing the Conspiracy of Goodness. So we are all in with this concept. Tell me what you think about, about naming this, this movement, this thing that we're championing, the conspiracy of goodness. Tell me your, your version of what you'd answer. Yeah. So I think one of the things for me, and I think this is really beautiful. One of, um, one of our followers sent us this when we started talking about the conspiracy of goodness and that the, the origin of the word conspire is conspire or to breathe together. And I think that that's incredibly important. Uh, conspiracies, obviously there's a 10,000 conspiracy theories. We call people that are members of the, the conspiracy of goodness network. We call them co-conspirators. So we're trying to really reclaim what the word conspiracy is because you know conspiracies are something that are underground there's something that's unknown there's something that when you know and i know it's existing together there's an excitement there right even if some conspiracies are very off off base let's put it that way but this one i think is is quite true and sometimes people will look at you uh, with the same amount of as if you're as crazy as people who believe that there's a conspiracy that birds don't actually exist they're robots from the government, which is an actual conspiracy theory, by the way. But people will look at you like you're crazy when you say, you know, there's a conspiracy of goodness. And they'll look at some people will look at you crazy. And then 25% of them will go, oh my God, that is so true. I saw, and without even having to introduce the concept, people get it. And and I'm kind of into this moment, and maybe this is not so 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 nice to say it, but I'm I'm kind of done with trying to explain what the conspiracy. If I have to convince you that the world is a good place, maybe one day you'll come around. I'll still create content for you so you can see that thing. But I'm really interested in that 20, 25% of people who the moment I say there's a conspiracy of goodness, they're like, oh my God, yes, my students just told me this, or my, you know, my grandmother just volunteered to help with this. You know, you can just say that phrase and people will fall in love with the idea of being a part of this. And if you lean in and to someone who's doing really good in the world, and you say, hey, I think you're a co-conspirator with me in this thing we call the conspiracy of goodness. You know, I'm here to help you or I'm here to be a help or I'm here to, you know, just be with you. Cross-pollinate. Cross-pollinate. Like there's something to that that's so, so powerful to know that you are not alone in your belief that the world was a good place. There were so many responses to our applications when one of them was like, why do you want to be a member of the conspiracy of goodness network? And there were so many people that said, I just want to be around people who also believe it's still a good world. I want to be around people who think the same way I do when it comes to seeing possibility in the future. I mean, I was astounded by the number of responses we got that were, were that. And I think that that's, why I love the idea of the conspiracy of goodness, because it is something It's a phrase that if you, if, if you know, you know, and you lean in and the people who gravitate towards it are incredible people. And, and I, I just, I think that it is something to lean into. I think it is something to be excited about. And even though I know conspiracy theories are, are wacky, some of them are not wacky and they turn out to be quite interesting and, and world changing. And so I hope that this is, is one of them for sure. Oh, I just, uh, I love that. I'm going to tell the, the actual story of the conspiracy of goodness really quick here. So people know the origin of how, how we came to champion it at Everwinding Circles. I was talking to a thought leader over an article we were writing about him in 2018. And after I told him what we do at Everwinding Circles, he said, oh, Dr. Linda, you must know the story of the conspiracy of goodness. That's exactly what you're doing. And, and I hadn't heard it. And when I looked it up, it's the story of a little village called Le Chambon, France, that managed to save 3,000 people from the Nazi concentration camps back in World War II. And, you know, there was no formal organization and everybody was risking their own lives to do this. 
And the phrase actually comes from a, an article I saw written in 1987 by a rabbi, Harold Schulweis, where he was giving a talk in Europe that he called the conspiracy of evil. And he said that at the end of the talk, a man stood up in the back of the room to say he had been one of the Dutch rescuers who saved a family. And the old man asked, why does everyone call World War II the conspiracy of evil? He said, do you think I could have saved an entire family in my home without the active participation of the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbors? No, he said, for every one person saved, there were seven who were rescuers. It was a conspiracy of goodness. And you know, this is what I love about what you're doing in the world, Liesl, is that that you're not running around, even either yourself or asking anybody else to be the one to personally save the rainforest. You've created a place for the milkman, the mailman, and the neighbors, all of us who are just doing what we can with what we have to make the world a better place. And I thank you so much for your energy and bringing all that you have to this task. Well, thank you. I think I think we're in a space now more than ever. I think that phrase gets used a lot, but now more than ever where we have the possibility to connect. We're all comfortable connecting now digitally and we know what we want and we don't want from a world in which something like a social media or something like a, a, an online platform becomes integral in in helping us grow and helping us grow maybe personally and professionally. And so I, I think that we are in a good time for just this kind of thing to to take off and for people who are not saving the rainforest to have a tangible impact on those who are, whether that's just being a cheerleader or sharing an article you don't know might might influence somebody to go and be the doer. I think that that's something beautiful and, you know, a transition from not a transition, but growing ever widening circles into the conspiracy of goodness network into the conspiracy of goodness podcast is to know that we are becoming change makers, that we are helping to elevate the stories of change makers and that we are giving everybody the opportunity to connect with those change makers so that they can be a part of the wider story and in changing our our world toward a more positive future for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we do thank everyone who's listening to this podcast or who's any part of the Ever Widening Circles orbit because because you are a charter member of the conspiracy of goodness of our times. So if you want to know a little bit more about that, again, my pod, my uh, TEDx talk is called Exposing the Conspiracy of Goodness. And in 13 minutes, you'll appreciate a lot more about your particular role. If you're listening to this podcast, then you are someone who is changing the world. So thank you very much for joining us. Liesl, I always end by asking people one simple question. As you know, our byline is, it is still an amazing world. What proves to you every day that it is still an amazing world? I always come back to my background, my my love for education. And I think that what proves it's still an amazing world is to look at the next generation of people, Gen Z, you know, whoever is using TikTok or whatever it is, and to see how kind so many of that group of of individuals is is being, how much they are looking to change the future, how much they are they have been they have been shown and and handed a world that can seem impossible if you don't have anybody guiding you. And yet there are so many young people who have far more knowledge and fortitude um, than I can imagine having when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. So I'm always heartened by the young people. I'm always heartened by the way that they look at the world because I think it's so, it's evolving in such incredible ways. I look at you know, documentaries that are talking about things that were happening in my youth that were perfectly acceptable, that are just not acceptable any longer. And young people are not letting it be acceptable. I'll watch a TV show that I remember truly changing the way that I looked at the world for a very bad, in a, in a bad way. And, and how that would not be acceptable now and how people would not find that acceptable. And it makes, and, and young people would say, no, that's not acceptable now. So that really gives me good hope for the future. And to me, proves it's still an amazing world that, that there are so many young people who, without guidance, seemingly, have found a better way to navigate our, our digital future and, and, and do, so doing our, our, our future in general. 
Well, I would, I would totally agree. I think that the generation below you really want to be net contributors and they are the first digital natives. They are going to change the future. And the sooner we can embrace that and add our particular nuances to the recipe, the better. So thank you, my dear, for joining me. This was absolutely lovely. We will talk again soon and we'll We'll hear what's going on with the network. Where can people connect? Give us all that. It's going to be in the show notes too, but tell us where people can connect with you personally, your work, the network, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you can apply to become a member of the network by going to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com. I know it's a very long URL, but we're working on shortening, but conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com will get you right to the website where you can apply to become a member. You can also check us out on Instagram. We try and post a lot of stuff that's very inspiring. And you know, if you're not a member of the network, we'll still uplift your day at Goodness Network on Instagram. Excuse me, if you want to find all Everwidening Circles stuff, you can always go to everwideningcircles.com. And there you'll be able to sign up for our newsletter and connect with our app and, and get all of the amazing content that we've discussed here today and stories about the world being a better place. We promise over at everwideningcircles.com. And then if you want to connect with me personally, my most used social media is at liesel.uv on Instagram. Feel free to message me if you have any questions or want to get better connected. I love connecting with people personally over there as well. So again, if you want to apply to become a Conspiracy of Goodness Network member, go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com and you'll be able to uh, join in on this incredible community that we're building. Okay. Well, thank you so much for creating such a win for the future for us all, Liesl. Yes. So for any more information and anything that Liesl and I mentioned, you'll be able to go down below in the show notes and find all the links there. And thanks to our affiliate partners for proving it is still an amazing world. You can find information about today's featured partner in the show notes below as well or by visiting everwideningcircles.com backslash partners. And remember, goodness can be viral too. And I think we're just about to see that in society. I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through your week and you start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Have a great week.